they're, they're not completely self-organizing yet, but, like, my, my need to be alive is becoming less and less. Like, I could probably die in this office tomorrow. Nobody would find me for, like, a month, and nobody would even know <laughs> I was dead because the team would be so self-organized. That, that took a dark turn. <laughs> You're listening to episode 157 of PHP Ugly. You're completely technically in-app developers and weekly talk show. I am your number one host, who has no idea what he's doing, clearly, Eric Van Johnson, and with me, my good friend, Thomas Rideout. Hello! This I'm... has been an interesting start of a show. Start? <laughs> yeah, we're uh, 46 minutes into it. Oh, man, oh, man. So... We we've had uh, we've had a Daryl here um, toughing it out with us as we figure out some technical difficulties. I appreciate your feedback, Daryl. Um, but for those who are interested, we are starting about forty-five minutes late, uh, mainly because of technical issues. Um, I have. Uh, so the classic setup we have is at my office, I have what you call the trash can Mac, the, the now the older Mac Pro that's like a like a black circle. You saw yeah, the it's a trash they have, can. They have a new uh, Mac Pros out now. All right. So they, they're called trash cans. And that's what I use. I, I leave that at the office so I don't have to lug the laptop back and forth with Um. But recently, I mean, I, I've, I've been having some quirkiness with the uh, trash can. And, and quite honestly, I, I mean, it was probably one of the poorest b- business decisions we made when we bought the trash cans. Because right from the get-go, uh, you know, our, our goal was to get something with more RAM than at the time. The, I think the laptops only came with like six, 8 gig? 8 or 16 gig, I forget what it was. And we wanted more RAM because we were running a lot of virtual machines. Uh, we were running um, VMs back then. A couple homesteads, uh, virtual boxes. So we wanted more RAM. We wanted a bigger hard drive. So we decided to get de- the desktop. And, and at the time, the Mac Pros were the, uh, were, the, were the desktop of choice. And right off the bat, like we always saw, like this quirkiness with the with the Mac Pros, but I toughed it out. I, I think John pretty much gave up on his, but I toughed mine out, and I've been using it pretty much for the last five years. Um, but I also have my laptop that I go back and use, and I and we've talked on the show in the past about you know how I'm always trying to keep the two in sync because I I'm very much like a developer who moves around like I you know I'll I'll be on a laptop then I actually have another laptop I'll use from time to time I want a Linux laptop so that honestly I want a Linux laptop just to have for the very rare occasion of when I'm traveling out of country I want something I can completely wipe clean and only have like the very bare you know necessities on it for when i travel out of country because you you also want it for like the i have a linux laptop yeah thing, though. there's that there's that I mean, aspect it's, it's of both. it too. but but yeah i mean a fun fact if you're an american citizen um when you cross the border 
that's one of the opportunities that the U.S. government has to seize your property. And basically, any any constitutional rights you think you have are are put on hold as you're crossing international borders. Yeah, it's and great. So yeah, so they'll they can they can freely go through your laptop at any time whenever you're doing that. Not that I have anything to hide. I just don't particularly want my sensitive information on a government computer, you know, mirrored to a government computer somewhere. So I've always wanted a laptop I could travel with. I'm getting off topic. Anyways, recently this week, this week, I decided that I was moving everything to my laptop. Now the laptop actually has a role in our stream. I've, we've always used it as the OBS machine. So what we, I would typically do is I would fire up Skype on the laptop. I would call myself on my trash can Mac, and then I would call John and Thomas uh, on the laptop as well. And the laptop would host basically the stream. So I thought, okay, if I'm using the laptop now, it'll be no big deal. I'm, I don't actually have to touch the OBS configuration and I'll just call Thomas from the laptop and you know, everything will be fine and dandy. Well, of course it wasn't fine and dandy. And Thomas no. and I have spent the last 45 minutes trying to figure out an audio issue. Nothing, so, nothing can be easy. So I, 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 I go on that tangent just to let you know of everything we went through to, to be here today for you to talk coding. So, and, and you missed the whole backstory of where I'm having a hat. There was a fire. I, let's just leave. I'm wearing a hat. Let's leave it at that. Also, John's not here today because he's very busy playing Frisbee. And yeah, he apparently there's yet another thing in his life that's you know takes a higher priority than than us. So sometime between his capoeira classes and his vegan cooking classes. <laughs> yeah, yeah, I feel, I feel, uh, I feel that would, that just uh, you know we all make mistakes in our lives and and you know whatever. Yep. <laughs> Anyways, we're here. We're here to talk coding, and my hair didn't catch on fire. I was joking. I'm just, I'm just wearing a, my Orioles hat because I had it on, and I don't know. I'm just wearing it today. So, uh, go O's. And uh, this is how bad the Baltimore Orioles are. I, I'm originally from Maryland, hence why I'm an Orioles fan. The Orioles are so bad, the Padres just swept them. So, there Ooh. you have it. Ooh. That's how you know I'm a true Orioles fan because not only do they suck this year, they have sucked pretty much for the last 10, 15 years. And I'm still wearing an Orioles hat. So, I mean, that's okay. also it's also a testament to how bad the Padres are. That's true. All right, let's talk some coding, man, because we need to get this show on well, the road. Before we do that, I, I do want to brag about my watch yet again. Okay, I'm loving my watch, and I did decide today, since it was boiling hot and the AC wasn't installed yet, I was going to take it off. And since I had it off, I might as well charge it. It was at 45%-ish. So I charged it today for the second time since I purchased it. All right, well, let me see the watch. Show the watch for so this our viewing is, audience. It looks just like a like an Apple watch. Uh, it's a, is that color? Yeah, it's color. It's got a very low resolution display. Um, 
you know, doesn't give you a whole lot to work with. Yeah. Doesn't have uh-huh. all the features or anything uh-huh. like that. Uh-huh. But but the battery life, I mean, 40-day battery life on one charge, you can't beat that. No. No. And so back back in the day, my my journey into smartwatches started with the Pebble. I don't know if you remember the Pebble, but Yes, yes, I I the, still have some in a drawer somewhere. Yeah. That's that's what I to I I set the standard. I set the bar to everybody else, and nobody else has come close to the pebble. Every every smartwatch I have, the best it goes is twenty four hours. So I'm really curious about this one. I I do need a watch that I can I can beat up and maybe go swimming in. So Sixty five dollars. Yeah, I know. You now I that. will tell you the screen is a pretty. Uh, unremarkable plastic. So, <laughs> so, so it's not a touch screen. It is a touch screen, but well, it, it can be plastic then. Well, then it's a very soft glass, but it does get <laughs> it does get scratched up. Uh, okay. In daily use, but for sixty five bucks, you know, what are you gonna do? Uh, and I know they're coming out with a forty dollar version that doesn't have a GPS chip in it, which will also sport a 40 to 50 day battery life. Yeah, I'm going to have to I think I'm going to have to look into picking one of those up because uh when I play racquetball and when I work out, I I have uh I have a Fossil which is a, a little bit nicer band and, and not particularly one I want to wear when I go swimming or when I uh when I'm playing racquetball. So mm-hmm. I typically, I typically take it off. Um, even like right now, when I'm sitting at the desk, I have it off because it's kind of a heavy watch. But I do like it; it's very pretty. Um, that, for someone who doesn't like having stuff on me, uh, I find that it barely bothers me at all. Yeah, it's a, it's nice and light. Maybe I have to pick one of those up. Oh, I do like watches. I'm a watch guy. Well, and if you don't like it, give it to the wife. That's true. Yeah. Just keep the packaging intact and it, seal it back up nicely. Tell her you got it for her. <laughs> and it kind of leads into what we were talking about our our first round of of doing this show, where I'm like I need to I need to step up my style a little bit. You know, we were talking earlier about how I've spent the last five years basically wearing Diego Dev T-shirts, and I, I'm pretty sure I've saturated that market like. I've got all the marketing potential out of wearing a Diego D- Dev T-shirt that I'm going to get. I yeah, need to start, probably. Need to start dressing nicer. I don't know. It's been so long. I need to actually see what clothing I have that's not Diego Dev branded. Well, but. we're we're big guys, which makes style very difficult. It really does. Um, yeah. And I, I at one point I was decided. You know what? I I like Jonah Hill's style. I'm gonna look up what his style is. And uh, it turns out his style was losing 150 pounds. So already that's off the shelf for me. Really? You, you, are, are you not interested in losing weight or are you just, you, you sure, struggle but I doing can't, it? I can't, aff- I can't do the like Hollywood losing weight diet. I, I have yeah. kids that drive me insane and, uh, you know, I love beer. Yeah, I, I, I'm kind of conflicted on it. I, I could stand to lose some weight for sure. Like I... I would like to get under 300 pounds. I'm over 300 pounds. But 
I do like being a big guy. I'm not going to lie. I mean, I'd like, you know, when people run into me, I don't move that much. I like that. Yeah. <laughs> you get you, you get uh, a lot of people saying excuse me to you more than you say to them. Right. And for the most part, I feel good. Like, right now, I'm probably bigger than I've ever been. And I, I'm, I'm teetering on that, okay, I need to do something about this because I get, like, where I'm uncomfortable. Like, trying to bend over and tie my shoes, I'm getting, like, uncomfortable. So I don't like that. I, I like being flexible. I like being able to move and stand up without going, Ugh! you know. <laughs> but yeah, the good old I don't, dad grunt. I don't mind being big. Uh, I just need to, I do need to work. I know when I don't work out, I know the difference in the feeling and how I feel. And and uh, I'm definitely there. I definitely need to work out. But I'm not, well, I'm not one of these guys where I need it's 95 degrees here in Colorado Springs today. Mm-hmm. So I'm totally okay with losing some weight because clearly I've, I've got a warmth layer that's causing me problems. <laughs> my, my wife is thrilled that it's nice and hot. She is jogging and working out and big smile on her face. And I'm, I'm just barely making it from my, my little home office section to my couch. Just, <laughs> Ugh, but this but, is the but, worst. But, but I mean, don't you feel like, I mean, even even with your development, don't you feel, don't you enjoy development more when you're in, in shape? No. No? I no. do. I do. I, you know, I don't know if it's a in shape thing or if it's a rested thing. I, I feel like I, I sleep better when I'm in shape, and then I, I enjoy coding more than than... I don't know. Well, I think since since I got my smartwatch, after about two weeks, my phone popped up with a little message that said, uh, "You should lower your expectations." <laughs> I shit it's you like, not. It's like, dude, you've got to move. Right? Please no, move. No. For a couple days, it was saying like, "Hey, now's time to move. Get 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 up on your feet. Get some workout." But then after a couple weeks, it just started saying. You've set your steps too high, your daily steps too high. You should lower it. Start off, you know, pace yourself. And it had this whole thing about, like, if you set expectations too high, you're less likely to reach them. And uh, it's just, it's like, I don't need this from my phone. You see, now, this is an important lesson, though. As a developer, as a remote developer, you really should be more serious about that. I mean, you really should... I know. Try to to have that as part of your regimen as he drinks a beer at, at eleven o'clock at night recording a podcast. Yeah, I hear you. Got the e-cigarette too. Can't can't exclude that. Nicotine keeps me active. Yeah, I I need to. Uh, we have a couple of develop. Well, we talked about John, you know, and his massive weight loss after his after his uh, brush with death there. And he started, you know, dieting better and uh, working out. But we have another developer um, who I think uh, you you might remember, Daryl. Uh, Thomas, do you remember Daryl? Oh, yes. Apparently, he's like he's like chiseled now. Uh, I, I didn't get the last SDPHP meetup, but John says he's like spending, you know, a couple hours a day in the gym. And he is like, he's got the guns and, you know, he's just... He's a force to be reckoned with now. That's 
that's you know, my thing. I, I, I middle age for our generation is so different than middle age for my parents' generation. What do you consider middle age? Because I don't consider myself middle age, man. I'm on. I'm on. The, I'm on the downward slide, man. I'm, I'm not well, middle age. Okay, I, I would love to. I would love to think that at 38, I'm middle aged. Oh yeah, 38. I'd call that middle age yeah, for sure. Yeah. Which is it's one of the interesting things. I don't. I know we don't talk politics here, but one of the things about the media's coverage of politics is that I'm technically a millennial, but now I'm also middle aged. And they keep treating me, they keep treating my whole demographic as if we're 22 or 23. Mm-hmm. And it's like, no, guys, we understand foreign policy now. We're 40. Oh, God. Let us talk. Typ- typical millennials. We're older now. Please pay attention to us. <laughs> and where's my trophy? I was told I get participation <laughs> trophies. Okay. Oh, Man, I want to talk coding. Uh, Johnson, I, unfortunately, I've I've got, I've only got a little coding news. I mean, okay, I'll tell you the first thing that really excited me this week: the Raspberry Pi Four. Try to buy one; they're sold out. Hell yeah, they are. They sold out so quickly. It was like a rock concert, man. I couldn't believe how fast they sold out. This is going to be a game changer. Game um, changer. Yeah, absolutely. I don't. I don't think so. But okay. uh, there were some issues with the previous Raspberry Pi devices. Uh, they used a shared chipset for Ethernet and USB that was, let's say, suboptimal. Um, this newest chipset is, or newest pair of chipsets is separate, uh, USB and Ethernet, and you're looking at gigabit Ethernet. And uh, the, what, let's see, USB-C powered USB 3 ports. I mean. Yes. The USB-C powered port to power the Raspberry Pi was very, very happy to see that. I was very yes. happy to see that. Uh, the, the dual display ports, the dual HDMI uh, ports, eh. You know, I, I always like the idea of not even having a screen on my Raspberry Pi, but I suppose there has been a big enough uh, of a of a request for, you know, dual monitor support for people who want to use it as a desktop. But I don't know. It seems uh, like it's that's pretty far off. Uh, no, but the displays, it does support 4K displays because it's got a uh, right. it's, it's got a HDMI 2.0 zero or is it right. 2.1 um the the previous raspberry pi the pi 3 the ethernet maxed out at about 50 megabits per second and the usb maxed out at about 250 megabits per second mm-hmm. um both of those being half of what the spec really should said it should have supported uh, mm-hmm. this newest version is full gigabit ethernet so you're going to get the thousand megabit and uh, full speed USB three, which means that, that as a media device or as a uh, NAS, it is a head and shoulders above what exists out there. Um, if you were looking into building a a 
<clears throat> NAS and network attached, attached storage out of a Raspberry Pi previously, you were going to have to deal with the fact that you couldn't stream 4K content because mm. the device simply couldn't handle it either on the uh, USB side or on the Ethernet side. Now, you can run a full-fledged network-accessible storage server off of a $35 unit and a, let's call it, $15 case, computer case, that Scott drives in it. Mm. Um, so expect to see the prices of NASes just plummet because mm. this is going to replace $150 worth of hardware. And that's huge. Fun fact, this is the First time, maybe the second time, definitely no more than two times, but the first time that I know of that the Raspberry Pi has actually changed its form factor so that any previous case won't work with this Pi. So that's... It is the first time, it's the first time that the power source has changed. Um, And I think... I think every major revision, one, two, three, and four, all changed uh, form factors a little bit. Nope, nope. They all they all continued. Well, I know two and three continued. Zero. The Pi Zero is a different form factor. It's the gumstick. Well, that that's style. a different. That's yeah. a different different product. system altogether. Yeah. But uh, yeah, I, I definitely want to get my hands on one of these. I'm wondering if, um, you know, if it, it's going to have the capabilities to run Docker at all and i tried getting docker I, I i kept seeing articles of people who got docker running on pi and every time i tried to do it it would like it was janky it was something would break something wouldn't work like correct or or i'd get docker running but like i couldn't get any images running it was it was janky as hell so i'm hoping um uh this might be able to handle that better but yeah i'm looking i'm looking forward to getting my hands on one of these I, uh, I'm a fan of the of the pies. Uh, yeah, so it's it comes in uh, multiple models. The one gig RAM is thirty five dollars. Two gig is forty five, and four gig is fifty five dollars. Fifty five dollars for a four gig board. I mean, I mean the... like like I said, a four gig, the 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 one gig model can stream four K content from mm-hmm. a USB device. I, that's amazing. Mm-hmm. Nothing, nothing can beat that right now, and thirty-five dollars. That's just—it's nuts. So yeah, I can't wait to get my hands on one. I'm excited. Yep, I'm looking forward to it. Play with it. Come up, come up with some something to do with it. I, I always have these like little ideas, and I get halfway through coding it and. I'm like, uh, I'm tired. I'm telling you, man, the 3D printer really makes the the Pi into an even more valuable device. Yeah. Are you still doing your 3D printing? I'm I'm trying to get it booted back up. It's been uh, so hot here. I just got the Mm. air conditioner installed today in the window. And, you know, a nice piece of cardboard to block off the part of the window that it doesn't cover Mm. the, the whole, the whole deal. Um, so we'll see. I might get it. I might get it running soon. I'm supposed to be uh, making a couple things. Cool, cool. All right, what else do we got going on? You want to talk about well, your uh, pole panda? Yeah, I do. Th- th- we do have some coding stuff. Um, okay. We we talked the last two weeks about uh, Google or uh, uh, Microsoft acquiring uh, 
what's it called? The uh, bug check. Dependabot. Dependabot. Mm -hmm. Uh, They they acquired Dependabot and then implemented it for free into GitHub. uh, And now they have done the same thing again with a company called Polpanda. You know, I looked at this one. I still, I'm still not clear what the hell it does. So the general idea for Pull Panda is that it is a a larger group system for managing code bases. Uh, you can assign pull requests to a person, or you can say that these are the people in my team, and it will load balance pull requests among the people in the team. So Lo- if load you, balance pull requests. Go yeah. Ahead. So. If you have, let's say it's you, John, and me on a team, if I issue mm-hmm. a pull request, it will decide to send that pull request to review for you or John. Mm. And it will do that based off of a load balancing type mechanic that it has built into it. Um, mm. it, it also uh, it does reminders in Slack. It'll say, hey, you've got a pull request that you need to handle. Here's information about it. So it's five days old. It's waiting on this or that. Uh, it, here's the, the name of the pull request, and you can click on it, and it takes you straight to the pull request and starts reviewing it. Uh, you can talk back to the, the Slack bot that they have and say, okay, I'll get, I'll get that handled soon, and it'll mark that as a comment in the system. Mm. Uh, it, it also has analytics for your pull requests. Uh, it will give you, I'll, I'll quote the site here, remove bottlenecks and optimize process using insights from your GitHub data. Uh, hmm. So we, yeah. we don't know we don't know how much they paid for this product. It doesn't seem like it's a $2 billion type acquisition. Mm-hmm. Um, but it's, again, it's just more support being added into GitHub, more features and functionality and basically moving the opposite direction of what everyone was afraid of when Microsoft bought GitHub. Well, it's true. Yeah, they seem I mean, to everyone be... was everyone was afraid GitHub they're going to kill it, they're going to replace it with uh, Code Vault or or whatever they call their version of it. Mm-hmm. And no, GitHub is thriving, huge and getting bigger and bigger. So I wonder if they're going to keep this as an additional service that you enable on GitHub or if this is going to start to become the default behavior of GitHub where, you know, just just whatever Pull Panda does, that that just is baked into that's how GitHub manages. I'm not in an environment where we would use any of this feature set whatsoever. Yeah, this seems so. like you have to be in a pretty big team for this to be beneficial. Yeah, or, I mean, Diego Dev is a great example of, of a good use case for this because you can have policies that say all code must be reviewed, all, all pull requests must be reviewed by another party member not involved but, in the project or something like that. Oh, well, yeah, we don't have that. But, I mean, GitHub does, so we do do that. Uh, but, but basically the rule is that uh, we say um, that uh, a certain amount of code owners have to sign off on a PR uh, before it can be merged. So, and you have, you know, you define code owners in, in the repo and anybody can kind of review, and this is, this is kind of the cool thing about it is anybody can review pull requests, but you know, one or two, in some cases, most cases is one, some cases is two uh, code owners actually have to approve the PR 
before it can be merged. But anybody can actually review and approve it. It just doesn't count to the condition of being able to merge it until code owners approve it. Um, so, I mean, they, they had some of that in there. And we do, we do use that. It's just that works fine for, for our team. I, I, yeah, you know, as I'd be curious to hear, hit us up on Twitter. I'd be curious to hear because I think the workflow of teams reviewing other teams' PRs who aren't working on the project is very appealing. But I just don't see that as like like in my perfect world that happens. Like I have I have team A who works on project A, team B who works on project B, and when team B creates a pull pull request, maybe somebody from team B has to approve it and somebody from team A has to approve it. And where I think that that seems like it would be such a wonderful world to be in, the reality of it is it's not. And you know, no, nobody, the, the, the people who do, you know, like if you do try to implement it, the people who aren't involved in the project just do a very recursive, yeah, this kind of follows standards, I don't see any issue here, pr- approval, which I guess does have benefits. But I don't know. It just seems to take a lot of time. Yeah. Yeah. I don't know. I, the, previously, it was for seven for a seven user license. It was fourteen dollars a month. So mm. it obviously wasn't a super premium service they were providing. Uh, but I mean, now you don't have to pay that fifteen dollars. Yeah, I mean, it, yeah. Like I said, I, I can see them integrating this as making it part of the workflow where you can because because right now you have a bunch of conditions you can put on a repo before before you can merge PRs. Uh there's a whole little rules library you can define. Right. And you know, I, it'd be nice to see some of this added to that where if you want it you can have it but you know, I don't I I don't want them to see you kind of start to force you to use it. So, be interesting. Um yeah. So I'm curious in in your work environment in you have a fairly fairly big team Thomas um how many people do you typically do PR review do reviews on pull requests for you guys uh it's just just my boss man really he does it he's kind of the yeah okay all right well uh, my my stuff doesn't typically go through review unless it's touching a very sensitive area that he's worried about um mm. So my stuff, I just push out to production when I'm done with it or happy with it. Mm-hmm. Uh, there is some front end stuff that gets reviewed, but it's not really a code review. It's just a functionality review. Mm-hmm. Um, and then the, the other developer at similar, similar level to me is also pretty autonomous as far as I know. Um, you know, we, we have to work fast and loose. We have to adjust to schedules very quickly and meet the, the owner's needs sort of at the drop of a hat. So our processes are not as refined as you might think. Oh yeah. It's never, it's never like that. Right? Yeah. <laughs> I mean, it's all, it's always the, the man behind the curtain sort of thing. Uh, in this scenario, but I know for our team, like you said, I, I typically break it down uh, back end, front end. 
uh, where depending on the front end developer who who makes the PR, there are a couple of other developers I will reach out to and says, "Hey, I'd really like your eyes on this," uh, especially front end stuff because I'm I'm not I'm, I still don't feel great about my JavaScript skills, and and we're a heavy view shop now, um, at least this, for this one project. So even my view skills, I'm just like, uh, I, I really would feel better to have somebody else. And I typically have you know somebody else sign off on it, then I'll do my review. Um, and for front-end stuff, for me, I mean, I will typically, if I have the time, pull it, pull it into a branch on my local machine and look at it before I actually do the, uh, do the merge. But uh, and we have scrutinizer set up, so I know it's passing certain tests. Uh, we don't have a lot of front end tests, unfortunately. Um, that's mainly back end stuff. But and and again, I I I pretty much do most of the merging um, for for our projects, uh, except for the project that uh, John works on. So I'll uh, I I review a lot of code on projects, uh, multiple projects. So. It's, do you catch a lot um, in your reviews? No, I don't. Not as much as I used to. Um, I a lot of that's because we we just really have good developers. Uh, we have developers who are really passionate about standards and implementation, so they're they're really good at you know at what they do. Uh, the only time I will catch things or or. They, they're more architectural things where it's like, okay, I, I don't like the way you're doing this. And typically, the the team knows me well enough to know what's going to trigger me, and they will reach out to me before they, <laughs> before they submit a PR. And then, you know, they'll say, hey, I'm thinking about you know changing a table, and I'm thinking about doing this, and we'll talk through it. So we, we've... I was thinking about today, our, our team, our youngest our not youngest, our most junior developer who's been on the team now has been on the team for two years, maybe a little longer than two years. So as a group, we've been working together for a long time and everybody really understands everybody else's strengths and weaknesses and what people struggle with, what people are good at. So it's, it's, we have a real good kind of chemistry here at Diego Dev as far as, you know, when we when we have teams work on projects and everybody's they're they're not completely self organizing yet, but like my my need to be alive is becoming less and less. Like I could probably die in this office tomorrow. Nobody would find me for like a month, and nobody even knew I was dead because the team would be so self-organized. That, that took a dark turn. <laughs> I mean, you know, it's just uh, it's good. It's good to have it. Um, I don't think any one person is too overwhelmed. I think, I think we have developers who have big uh, goals in in a project that they're trying to get through. But it's not like any one developer is tasked with too many responsibilities. Yeah. Um, so, yeah, I, I think it, it, we're really, really fortunate. I, I, I'm always so paranoid that, you know, just, it's going to take like one person leaving and then the wheels fall off. <laughs> <laughs> 
<laughs> I, I think I'm the only person that can leave and the wheels would fall off. Like the, the, the train would still be going down the track with or without me. <laughs> uh, I've got a little bit more news. We have breaking news today. Okay. Um, Johnny Ive. Oh, yeah. Johnny Ive is leaving Apple. Uh, if you don't know who he is, he is a the lead designer behind the iPhone. In a lot of the the current styles of Apple, a lot of the uh... yeah. Thank God. Yeah. I mean, he's got to be so done with this by now. The way the way the direction that Apple has gone since he created the iPhone. You you think he you think he took a look at that last uh, last uh, WWDC and saw that stand? He's like, yeah, just no, threw man, his I'm, hands I'm up out and said, you know I'm what? Here. You know what? They don't need a designer anymore. <laughs> they're not they're not looking for me anymore. Yeah, yeah. Um, yeah, I mean, it's, it's you know the, the guy's been there. I mean, he's been there for a while. It's interesting that we don't know where he's going. Uh, hey, yeah, yeah, we do. He's uh, starting his own design firm. Oh, a design firm? Oh, bummer. Which he'll probably contract with Apple. <laughs> so, of course. You know. Brilliant. <laughs> no, nothing will change. He just, uh, you know. Yeah. I, I still thought it was it was interesting to hear that. I, I'm, I Did think, you see uh, that, uh, that somebody tried to see how well the new... Uh, Mac Pros could actually grate cheese. No, I did not. So uh, somebody how, figured how out how. To, I, I, I'm not sure exactly. Somebody figured out how to CNC the exact pattern that uh, that Apple's using, mm -hmm. and so they they did some tests with aluminum, and uh, I, I don't think it does as well on cheese as people thought it might. <laughs> well, because it's not a cheese grater; it just looks like one. Yeah, it just just looks stupid. <laughs> It looks like I am, an airport from the, the 90s. So like I said uh, at the beginning of this show, I'm moving to using my MacBook Pro full-time again. And one of the things I'm looking to do, and, and to, the reason we're able to do that, like, like I said, when we bought the trash can Macs, we were using VMs and a lot of stuff. We don't use VMs so much anymore. Um, you know, there's a lot of Docker stuff. It's not as... as uh, resource intense on laptop so yeah i'm, I'm de definitely feeling better about it but there are certain things that we do that are pretty resource intensive on the laptop this being one of them having obs and streaming a bunch of stuff uh being one of them so i've been looking into eGPUs lately and i i think i'm going to try to to do an eGP eGPU with my laptop Explain this. Uh, external graphic processor. Oh, yeah. You know, so the you... FireWire with the external case and everything. Right. Terrible, terrible investment. Why? Because just the just the case to hold the GPU is like starts at one hundred and eighty bucks. Three hundred for the one I'm looking at. Yes. Oh my god! But the the card itself is going to be three hundred. Right. So that so that's. If you go to the Apple Store, they have they have one that they officially support and they sell in the Apple Store. That one's going for uh, eleven $1 hundred or twelve hundred dollars. That's oh the my God. that's 
that's that the case. Unbelievable. That's now that's the case. That's the, that's the graphics card. That's everything. Yeah, but, that's stupid. That's but, that's double the price. But not only is it double the price, but it's also not upgradable. So whatever you get, <laughs> you're stuck with. So I, I've been oh, doing some research. Oh, come on. You've got to get out of this ecosystem. I've been doing some research. Well, that's the thing, though, is is an eGPU can be used across platforms, right? It's not an Apple thing. It's, anything can use an eGPU. Um, Apple actually handles it better than most other OSs, but uh, but it, you can use it with Linux. You can use it with Windows. It's, you're not you're not buying the eGPU, and then if you get rid of your Apple laptop, you you've got a paperweight. You can still continue to use it. So yeah, the one I'm looking at by the by the time I assemble it, it's going to it's going to run me about six seven hundred dollars. Now, on a related note, the platform on Linux for gaming used to be ubuntu because it was very similar just plug and play functionality worked really well um mm. and so steam uh, or valve put a lot of effort into getting support for gaming on linux through the ubuntu project however ubuntu is not going to be supporting 32-bit platforms in the future mm. okay and if you know anything about Windows gaming, it's a lot of 32-bit executables. Uh, getting that to run native in Ubuntu is was one of the big things that Valve wanted. And with the drop for 32-bit support, it's just not going to happen anymore. Hmm. So Steam is dropping Ubuntu, and uh, they're going to have to be working with a different distribution. Uh, Although, since I pulled this post up, it's been updated and it says that Valve likely will continue to support Ubuntu because the makers of Ubuntu said they will support select 32-bit packages going forward. There you go. They so compromise. Everybody's happy. <laughs> yeah, that's... I gotta love Linux. <laughs> nothing works the way you want it to so i got i got stuck in a situation i i was actually thinking about you this week thomas i was stuck in the situation where i needed a windows laptop and i almost called you if i if i hadn't been accessing a government computer and needed government clearance i would have reached have out it. to you oh do you yeah well shit i should have called you man <laughs> I have a you, system. you have to you have to hold my clearance for me though in order for it to apply. Uh, I had I had a system I was trying to get on, and I, I was telling they they put me in in touch with the uh, IT people there, and you know those sort of IT guys are very focused, and if you're outside their scope of expertise, they really they they're not trying to help you. And he he said, "Well, just open up a terminal and you know open up a remote desktop session and go to the machine." I'm like, "It's a Linux box." He goes, "What?" I'm like, "Yeah." He goes, "Huh?" He says, "Well, I think you can still open a remote desktop session." I'm like, "Well, I'm on a Mac. I don't know how that works." Remna. <laughs> so uh, no, it's called, the, the, it's called I, Remina, and it is a POSIX. Uh, compatible 
fully featured uh, remote desktop application. Well, I had a remote desktop application. It was called SSH. And that's what <laughs> I was trying to tell him. I'm like, listen, this works. It's not a, it's not a, it's not a desktop connectivity issue. It's a networking issue. I can't get to the box. He's like, I don't know, man. I, I go to the, uh, I go to the portal and I hit connect and you know, remote desktop opens and I can see, I can see the machines there. I'm like, okay, but there's a networking issue between the public network and your little internal world. So anyways, I, uh, I was working with him in parallel. His solution was you have to get a windows machine and run remote desktop. I'm like, all right. I will I will install Windows in a virtual machine here, and while I'm doing that, you check the network setting. And fortunately, he got back to me before I finished installing Windows because, as you mentioned a couple shows back, that is a lengthy process. Oh God, it takes forever. <laughs> Holy crap, man! Ubuntu so just a- wants to know, like, what part of the world kind of are you in? And that's it. Windows has a billion questions to answer they want to while know you're installing. Where you're sitting right now. Right. Like they want to know the, the brand chair. of your chair. <laughs> exactly. So he, eventually he called me back. He goes, hey, uh, it looks like your machine is on DHCP and the uh, IP address changed. I'm like, okay, that's fantastic. Can you update your firewall? And he updated the firewall and everything was everything was good, but now... Now I have this, I I was already like through 70% of a Windows install, so now I actually have a Windows VM on on my laptop, which I don't know what to do with now. <laughs> Video game, Rocket League! I've been trying to, I was trying to get the uh, co- the Ubuntu command line installed, in it, but it keeps complaining about something, and I don't care enough about it to try to figure it out. Speaking of which... The the new Windows 10 terminal that we've been talking about and talking about for months is now in preview. You can open up the Windows Store and just click install, and it will install on your machine and let you choose from all the different uh, types of shells that you have available. And mm-hmm. that's exactly what I was what, what, exactly what I was trying to do. Actually, um, it's maybe it's I, very maybe. nice. If I really get the inkling, maybe I'll fire up the VM and call you and we can do a... Uh, oh, it just can... crashed. <laughs> I, closed, oh, <laughs> I closed the last tab without closing the window itself and the window uh, crashed. <laughs> I don't know what to do here. Bye. Bye. <laughs> oh, man. So, uh... We haven't made a big deal about it, and I don't intend to make a big deal about it. But John do we, do we want to wait till next week? Oh no, he might. John might not be. He might be playing frisbee again. Yeah, John Congdon is pretty much not part of the show anymore. Uh, he may be make, making a guest appearance from time to time, but uh, we don't know what's happening with him. However, he did have a pretty big announcement today, so we want to give him some shout outs here, but. He will be speaking. It looks like he's going to be speaking at uh, PHP World this year. That is awesome. Really? You really think that's awesome? I don't know. That's I don't know I, awesome. that's great news for him. It's good news for Diego Dev. Uh, do you know I, what he's? I, do you know what he's speaking about? Yes, I do. I don't know if I'm allowed to say though. Yeah, I think I, I should be able to say right. 
I mean, it's not like a secret, I don't think. I'm not going to say. I'll let John say. I I know what I know what it is. They they they're two they're two really interesting topics. Uh test driven development 101. Okay, I guess you're going to say. <laughs> well, I just pulled it off of their schedule. I didn't know what it was. Oh, is their schedule up? The schedule is up. What? PHP World schedule's up? Yeah. So he uh, has two on there then. Let me let me bring this up. I I tried. Uh, I'm trying to share. Uh, I'm trying to share our screen in uh, OBS, but that's not sharing. I don't know. We have we have to uh, get our OBS configuration set up again because it's kind of sucking balls right now. Okay. So it's a it's a four track uh, schedule, and it looks like. John is speaking Wednesday, October 23rd at 3.15. And it is in the ballroom. He gets the big room. So he's got two on here. Oh, what? So he's also doing event sourcing 101. I didn't see that. So go to go to speakers. Go to phparch.com. Go to speakers and then click on him. Boy, I hope he knows he's doing two. Yeah, he does. That's that's why I, that's why I knew it. But yeah, cool stuff, man. Very very exciting. I'm gonna have to go. You you're gonna come to World? I'm gonna have to. I think you should. DC in October. It's pretty nice. It it's is still still a little warm, but and actually, where well last year. Uh, Last year was in November and it snowed. So, but uh, where they're having it this year is the—I don't know exactly where it's at, but it's it's in the Tyson's Corner arena, and um, that's a nice area. Fun stuff there. I think I might All have right. some family out there. I'll have to see. Let's uh, let's add this to our show notes. What do you say? Yeah. Uh, I need to open that up in some other. I will open this up in show notes. I've got I've got one more thing. Do you want to do one more topic before we uh, wrap it up? Sure. Before Let's we close it. it out. Uh, MongoDB. I'm a fan. They have announced that they are implementing field level encryption. Okay, I mean, you, you've piqued my interest. What does that mean? Well, the idea here is that the person who owns the data holds the key and that the key is not available to the server. So it's encrypted and decrypted via a user's identity. Like a SSH key sort of thing? Like it has to be... Something like that. Uh, they've said that implementing this kind of technology isn't really possible on relational databases. Which right, I'm that not, would make I, sense. I, I don't quite understand that. Well, because um, th- think about it. A relational database, everything's a row. You have to... So with a MongoDB, it's a... Di- so it's like it's like encrypting 
Dropbox, right? Where you're just encrypting documents. You know, in MongoDB, everything's sure. a document. So you just encrypt the document. I can definitely see why it's it's more achievable with a document store than a relational database. So it, it's an interesting solution, um, but it's one that requires the the implementation to give up control, you know, to give up the accessibility of that data to them uh, and, you know, theoretically to lose analytical. Right. That's, that's what I was just thinking about. I was like, what, as a developer now, it's like, what, you can't use that data for anything. It's, it's almost like it would be like a Dropbox scenario where, where users might upload documents for other users but you as a developer, it's just a garble glue. It's not like you can pull in the record and say, okay, display you know, the, the phone number in this record. You know what I mean? It's just a, it's just a, a glob of data sitting in your, in your database. Right. So there's not a huge incentive at this point in time for anyone to actually implement this. However... If you look at what the GDPR says about storage of personal data, mm-hmm. if you were to encrypt, if you were to do field-level encryption so that the data was encrypted by the user, then you would never have to worry about deleting anything. Mm-hmm. Because the data isn't there. It's the encrypted values. Also, you know that you know how else that might work is um well, that that is interesting. Now that you bring that up, so you could almost almost think of it like a queuing system between systems, right? Where you could throw an encrypted blob into a MongoDB database store, and then maybe, for example, you have an accounting system that will go to that MongoDB and pull down records for the accounting system to process. It knows how to decrypt it because it's one of the things that has the key to that data. So it says, okay, pull down, right. pull down my accounting data, decrypt everything, process everything. Yeah, that actually, yeah, that's that's interesting. Hmm. So my money here is on the fact that MongoDB is leveraging the concern and the the future legal implications of storage of personal data and saying. When a law comes along talking about how you have to treat personal data, here's a drop-in solution that we've been running for two years. Because it's not impossible that a similar situation to the GDPR happens, you know, universally. Uh, If it's implemented in Britain and the U.S., then it's going to be implemented everywhere except China. Um. And this, this data privacy stuff, if, if I told you, when you delete your key, when you say revoke access, mm-hmm. it's gone. The data is gone. Because by all technical, you know, if you, if you believe that your encryption to be secure, then the data is just as good as deleted. So you could do field-level encryption on all personal data and then... When the person revokes that key, it's just never available again. Hmm. That's weird, though, because it is still it would still be on your system. You just wouldn't know it. 
you have you would have no way theoretically of and theoretically nobody else would be able to prove it either well i'll give you i'll give you an example that that works a little better is the blockchain mm -hmm. has been a big problem for gdpr stuff because the blockchain is forever and it propagates throughout every machine so in those scenarios if the data is encrypted on the blockchain and you lose the encryption key it's as good as gone mm -hmm. and that should adhere to most legal standards for having been removed uh it it gets messy i mean it's I, I can guarantee you that, that the MongoDB team is planning on this being a mandated implementation for most user land data. Mm. And that this is this is a look forward to the future I don't where know. governments are going to require. Uh, yeah, usually, see, but again, oh man, that's so challenging though because it's that user land data that as developers, you use throughout your application. It's their names, their phone numbers, their address. Their uh, that's that's the data you want. And if it's encrypted and you don't have access to it, what's the point? As as a corporation, it's the data you want, but it's also the data that the users don't want. You I get have. that. I, I get that. But and, I'm and just saying, we're we're in a perpetual mindset of of companies won't let us do this. Companies won't let us do this. Companies shouldn't have the power to tell us what we can and can't. No, do. it's not a matter. It's yes, not it a is. Matter. Yes, it is the it's data that not, they want. No, it's not a matter it, of can and can't do though. They're just they're not going to be able to create as as beneficial applications to us because they they won't have access to the data they need access to. Absolutely. But they won't be able to create as harmful applications. Either. Absolutely, but but then then you're then you you have the internet now you know you know degressing back into the you know '90s dial-up of crappy applications that really don't do a whole lot for you. I something's going to have to change with with I'm just. Mark Zuckerberg I, talking about privacy and then everyone just rolling their eyes and saying, we know you're lying. Right. I mean, I'm just thinking as a it's, developer, right? As a, as a coder, you know, yeah. what, what the applications I have now, first thing, how much would that be impacted? And, and second thing, what could I really offer a client, you know, without certain information? And I mean, I, we have, we have some, we have some cl clients who, are very dependent on on you know some you know information for enforcement for permitting for I mean th they need things like addresses and stuff like that that if I didn't have access to they wouldn't have a they wouldn't have a product I don't know sure and that would have to be accounted for in any legislation that moved forward uh, in, in the same way that. Right now, every single stupid website I go on has a cookie warning that I have to get rid of, and it's the worst version of what that law was intended to do. Right, right. I, I guess my point is, I, as, as a coder, I can definitely see some use cases for something like this in where I can use it, but I don't think it will be used the way you're, you're suggesting that it should be used, which is to, to you know address a lot of this... Uh, 
personal identifiable information. I, I just don't. Well, in in the Wired article that I that I read, I say read because I didn't read it. Skimmed. <laughs> okay. I'll say that's fair. Wired. It's too many words. But they do specifically address that it is about part of it. Part of their plan is about users' ownership of their own data, and that this this implementation it allows the company to hold the keys themselves, or to give the keys to the client. Right. And that both implementations are valid, um, and that both implementations address different issues, business issues that people and, and, I, and I definitely the the one where the business holds the key, I, I I can definitely see a lot of use cases for that. That's what I, I touched on earlier. So where the the, the company yeah. still has access to the data, but they have that added additional layer of not only is it encrypted, but you know record to record it It's a it's per yeah, it's a per right. record encryption and it's automated and it's just an abstraction from a single sign-in issue that, let's say, MongoDB has had this year. Because, oh boy, they've had a lot of problems with that this year. Oh, really? MongoDB uh, has a default setting that if you let it through the firewall, it doesn't ask for a login. That, uh, that, yeah, Microsoft uh, SQL used to have that, too. <laughs> I remember. Yeah, small, just, just a small yeah. problem. All right, man. Well, you know, it's been a long night. We've had technical difficulties, but, you know, we got our shit together and, and put a show out there. So I'm, I'm actually feeling good about ourselves. A damn fine damn show. Damn fine show, the man says. And I tend to agree with him. I do enjoy doing this, although we're not very good at it. I do enjoy talking every <laughs> week about coding and development. So I look forward to uh, next week with you, Tom. As do this I. This has been episode 157 of PHP Ugly. I am Eric Johnson. I'm Tom Rideout. Keep, Keep it, it up. Ugly. Thanks for listening to this episode of PHP Ugly, and thanks to our sponsors, the Diego Dev Group. If you're looking for developers who care about the code they create, the communities they build, and the solutions they implement, then reach out to the Diego Dev Group. You can find the Diego Dev Group at www.diegodev.com. That's www.diegodev.com. Show notes and RSS feeds can be found at www.phpugly.com. Follow PHP Ugly on Twitter at phpugly or join us in our Discord channel. Subscribe to the podcast on iTunes, Google Play, or in your favorite podcast listener. A rating of five stars is always appreciated. Until next time, keep it ugly.